Ramadan, Passover, Easter, spring, <laughs> maybe. Uh, so if any of you are celebrating any of those holidays, um, congratulations and enjoy. We are continuing to walk down that path called Eightfold, Noble Eightfold. And we have come to the place of right speech. This uh, speech is pretty significant. It appears not just in the Eightfold Path as right speech, but it also appears in our precepts as tell the truth, don't lie, as well as in the four, four noble truths as in the Eightfold Path and in the Paramitas as well, truthfulness. So speech is a really significant, has a significant place in our lives. In fact, here it is. Um, we wake up in the morning and if we're not talking to somebody or our cats or dogs, we're talking to ourselves. Uh, so, so speech, this narrative, this language is uh, constant. It's the way we communicate. And it's profoundly significant. Uh, it can it can be the most uh, beneficial, compassionate, healthy, skillful, beautiful way in which we engage in the world and with one another and with other beings. Some people even talk to trees. And it, it can be, and in fact, the teachings are, we live in an oral tradition. So the teachings, these teachings have been passed on orally as well as through the written word. So in a sense, we wouldn't even have these teachings were it not for speech, were it not for language. So really significant. But speech can also be profoundly damaging. One word, one turn of phrase, one misunderstanding, a friendship can disappear. A relationship can disappear. Um, and so being careful about speech is profoundly important. <clears throat> On some level, we can say this about all of the uh, elements on the Eightfold Path, that right speech is, on, in some sense, no speech. Right view is, in some sense, no view. Right intention is, in some sense, no intention. We sit here in silence, no speech, except, of course, the chatter that is continuing to make static in our in our heads. 
but we when we examine some of the most significant times in our lives i expect that we'll find that no speech is the right speech i'm thinking for example of being with someone who's dying what what can you say what is appropriate it's as almost as if there's no there are no words for, for this uh, or if um if someone is born if we have a birth it's this joyfulness it's almost as if there are no no appropriate words if someone betrays us or feel betrayed it's hard to speak when we have a, a loss a deep loss in our lives a loss of a relationship a loss of a job a loss of um, a, a pet i can remember being at chikochi and learned that my dog had died there was nothing anyone could say to me and nothing I could say that exp could express my grief. So at the, at the hospice at the San Francisco Zen Center, one of the admonitions there was when someone is dying, stay close, do nothing. And we could also revise that in terms of certain, certain situations in our lives when we can appropriately say, stay close, say nothing. And so on some level, no speech is right speech. And it is very difficult, I think we see in our ordinary lives, not to speak. Uh, not, not, there's something about having to continue to make sounds <laughs> that gives us a sense of security or connection. I mean, it is a, it's the way we communicate. But as we can see, when we sit together in silence, there is a bond that forms between us that has nothing to do with speech. As a matter of fact, I, I think I mentioned during book study that um, when I, we had a little sitting group uh, early on in, in, at State College, everyone was very quiet never talked to one another, but as soon as we started having tea together, immediately there were conflicts. <laughs> as soon as we opened our mouths, discrimination happened. Uh, you know, preferences happened. Uh, different views happened. And intolerance happened. So we could say that the, the best speech is no speech, but and, and certainly uh, maybe a sign of a deep relationship with somebody is if 
you don't have to speak, that you can just be with having, without having to chatter. <laughs> Sometimes I'll fill our words, just fill up the silence with, with chatter. And it's a sign of a, of a, a strong relationship, an ease, easy relationship, not to have to chatter. So right speech has, according to Buddha, four marks. And I, I think we may have to spend more than a week on, on right speech because it is so significant. The first mark is called truth. Right speech is true speech. And by this, I'm not sure that the Buddha meant that it has to be true in the sex, sense of factual. Because there can be a factually true speech, which isn't true in the sense of like having a true friend, an authentic, genuine friend. So true speech, I think what Buddha meant, and of course, how do I know? I'm guessing that true speech is genuine, comes from a genuine, authentic place. Sometimes we say, speaking from the heart, speaking from the heart, speaking truly, speaking, and we go back to right intention. All these, these elements, these factors are connected. So our intention is to be true, is to be a genuine person and not to perform, uh, but to speak out of an authenticity. We can perhaps contrast this with some of the speech that goes on on social media, which may, which gives us the opportunity to perform rather than to be genuine. That is, we can present ourselves, we can speak without having to directly take responsibility for what we're saying. We can hide behind a performance. So speech there, when it appears in, a, in virtual space, can be, can be a lie, can be inauthentic. We can, I think, I think we use the word curate. <laughs> we can curate ourselves. We can, we can create a persona. We can create a way of being and speaking that is totally fantastic. It's, it's, it's not authentic. And we can continue to perform that persona without any accountability. And so I think we certainly do want to be as factual as we can be. But 
when we ask the question, what is a fact, speaking the truth, I think as we talked about at, uh, with Uchiyama Roshi saying, you look at a cup and everybody's looking at that cup and seeing a different truth because we have a different angle at it. So we can ask, what is a fact? What is a fact? And thus, what might it mean to be truthful in that sense? So I think in a way we're kind of um, safer and more in the spirit of Buddhist practice to speak about truth, being truthful as being genuine, as being honest, <coughs> being true in that sense. And I think, I think most of us can pick up and detect when someone isn't being genuine, when they're kind of putting on an act or performing for, for us, <coughs> uh, that they're really not speaking from the heart. So that, that's the first mark. And of course, there's lots of interpretation here. Uh, and you can, hopefully we can talk more about this, what it might mean uh, for, for speech to be true. The second mark is that speech be kind, <coughs> gentle. I believe the Dalai Lama was known to say that my religion is kindness. That's a hard, uh, a hard quality to find in our society, this kindness. Because mostly we live in an adversarial society in which we're competing. Um, the tendency is not so much to be kind to one another, but to find ways to manipulate and to profit from relationships, uh, to get, come out on top, to be impressive. Um, so we're, this self-centeredness tends to prevent kindness toward one another, except perhaps in emergency situations when somebody is really suffering terribly. But just generally, our speech seems, sometimes we call it too soft. That person's being too soft, too vulnerable. If you're seen to be, your speech is too kind, uh, you're too soft. And certainly, I think we could categorize speaking behind somebody's back, speaking about others when they're not present, is not particularly kind. There is a 
a wonderful story. Uh, it's been adapted to different traditions, but I'll adapt it to Buddhist practice. In which a woman found herself, this could be a man as well, men, men talk about <laughs> others, others behind people's <laughs> Somehow women are always seen as a gossip, you know, the, the ones who are always, you know, sitting around <laughs> with tea and talking about others. But men do this too. Um, but let's say this is a woman who was found who found herself gossiping and talking a lot about other other people with other people. And the night after she found herself engaged in a, an afternoon of chattering about other people, she had this terrible nightmare in which um, this darkness descended upon her and it felt like a form of hell that she had been cast into this terrible darkness. And she associated that nightmare with having spent a day talking about other people, that somehow this was a punishment. Uh, and she sought out uh, a, a Zen master, <laughs> of course. Um, why did, she didn't go to a psychiatrist or, you know, <laughs> Zen teachers are cheap. <laughs> so, so you, know, <laughs> you, gotta, you can be sure, you know, you get some good advice, uh, cheap, cheap. So um, she said, she said, I had this horrible nightmare and uh, I'm thinking I've behaved really unskillfully and I, I just want to know is this is this something that is um, is going is deeply bad karma and is going to wind me and wind uh, wind up that I go to one of the hell realms and is is this something I should really be concerned about? So the Zen master said, "Look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home and." find a pillow and go outside, could go be on, the, on, on your roof or outside somewhere and take a kitchen knife and cut a, a gash into that pillow and open it up and then come back and see me. Well, she did that. She went home, found the pillow took it outside, took a kitchen knife, opened it up and went back to the Zen master. And the Zen master said, okay, now what I would like you to do is go and find all the feathers and put them back into the pillow. She said, I can't do that. <laughs> They're all over the place. The wind has just taken them and scattered them everywhere. And he said, that's gossip.
What feathers are you releasing where you do not know where they're going, how they can damage someone, what effects they have in the world? You can ruin somebody's reputation. You can destroy friendships. You can cause someone to be deeply depressed by a feather that is taken by the wind that you don't even know where it's going and how it's going to affect the world or other people. So what does this mean? It means we really need to guard, to guard our mouths, as well as to understand, as sometimes we say, God gave us one mouth and two ears. So we're designed more to listen than to speak. And so we practice silence here. And the intention is to, there's a kind of kindness to silence. Of course, there can also be um, damage to silence as well. When you don't speak, when it is appropriate to speak, and the kind thing to do is to speak, and to speak skillfully. But pretty much you can rely on silence as right speech, because there are so many so many ways you can, many more ways that you can be kind in your silence, particularly if you hug someone or you look at them kindly, you just give them your attention, even though you don't say anything. You take a walk with them silently. So this issue of speech or not speech, um, and what, what kind speech is. Is it the tone of your speech? You can say something very critical to someone, but kindly. <laughs> um, that's hard to do. Uh, and that, again, comes, comes out of right intention. That if your intention is to be helpful, which is another mark of right speech, then even though you may be critical, the person is, doesn't feel attacked. The person feels that your intention is good. Your, your heart is in the right place. And that though you, you might be uh, told you're doing something unskillful or even wrong, that you're, you're attentive to that and you appreciate, you appreciate being told that because it comes out of kindness, it comes out of compassion. 
The third mark of right speech is being helpful. So, so much of our speech is just chatter. It uh, is just used to fill, to fill silence, to fill a kind of discomfort with somebody or not knowing somebody very well, or the speech doesn't really have any significance. Uh, it, it, it's just babble. <laughs> uh, and, and you know the story of the Tower of Babel uh, in the Bible, um, the, um, I think it's in Genesis where uh, the people, uh, had a single language. They lived in harmony with one another. And they decided to build a monument to their, to their unity. And they started building this tower. And of course, the gods who are always watching out for human arrogance. <laughs> Uh, and are always in some sense vying with human power, noticed that the people were unified and they were challenging, they were building up this tower that uh, were threatening the heavens. And they said to themselves, well, if they can build this tower, they can, they can challenge us. They can, of course, this is metaphorical. It's about human arrogance. And what the gods did was they disabled that unity of language and created a multiplicity of languages so that people could not understand each other. And they scattered people all over the world. So now we have people with all different languages who can't communicate as we see writ large now in the world. War cannot communicate. Languages, even within our own families, we can't talk to each other. We have different languages. We, we do pretty well at the language of war. Very competent at that, it seems. But, and we have a department of war, right? We have, we have a defense department, but we don't have a department of peace. Right? We don't have a department of peace. So this, uh, generally our speech with one another is not helpful. It's usually combative uh, or competitive or I know more than you do, or I can, I can be more articulate, or I can explain myself uh, more. I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit to make a point. Um, it's, it's an invitation for you to examine how you speak and when you speak, and the, the tone of your speech, even the way you speak to yourself. I know I'm very hard on myself. My, my tone is not kind. NATO! <laughs> um, 
could you possibly have done that? You know? You're so stupid. You're so unkind. That's not being kind to yourself. It's not, and that tends to spill over. Um, and certainly if you have children, that's a big one. Trying to be kind to your children. I try to be kind to my daughter, but she often doesn't take it as being kind. <laughs> Just get out of my face, mom. <laughs> but Amy, I only have the best intent. No, shut up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> when to stop speaking without pushing. You're not being helpful, mom. But I want to, I'm insisting on being helpful. I want to be helpful. Can't you see I'm being helpful? Yeah. This is what the Buddha is appropriate, right speech, right, just right. Okay, stop talking, mom. Or with a friend or with a loved one. I, I, I know, mom, I know you're, I know you have my best interest in heart, but please just shut up. Okay. Not being helpful. <laughs> Stop being helpful. And the last mark is being timely. So being true, being kind, being helpful and being timely. I apologize. Sorry, you're too late. <laughs> that speech doesn't work. You know, it's, it's, we should have had this conversation last year. Or too early. <laughs> it's not, you know, we don't need to talk about this now. Let's pay attention to what's going on in front of us. You know, we don't have to talk about the future. Uh, it's too early to talk about that. We need to pay attention to what's happening now. So, you know, inappropriate, not right, not appropriate, not timely. And, and sometimes these are just ways of distracting us from what's going on right now. We, we, we want to talk about something else. So ultimately, perhaps, right speech is about paying attention to what is happening now. What is appropriate now? What is just right now? And how do, we, how do we come to understand that? How do we come to discover that? By being silent. <laughs> By listening. And not, not just um, kind of temporarily, but repeatedly, constantly. So sometimes I will, I will find myself listening to someone and then feeling the impulse, I've got to, I've got to respond to it. 
but no, I can listen more. <laughs> I can just be quiet more. And you actually can be. And remarkable things happen. People will say things and, and, and behave in ways that are not uh, mechanical, you know, or not that you don't expect that will be surprising if you listen more. So here's another Zen paradox. <laughs> right speech is no speech. You can count on it. Or sometimes it's Please return to the